0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit ConcerningHim.com. Welcome back to our journey through the book of James. James guides us through the exercise of navigating the challenges of our current circumstances of political unrest, distrust, and even isolation over issues revolving around culture, politics, and faith. These are some of the issues that we've been talking about and that will continue to come up. Today, we plan on tackling chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. You see, the circumstances in our lives that cause fear and suffering of injustice and civic division and turmoil and pressure that comes from a world that seems to distrust and misunderstand true Christianity today is one of the biggest challenges that I see. Let's show them what Christianity really is, and we can learn from the book of James. Let's proclaim and live Christ to an unsaved world today. Let's live lives of consequence through a clear understanding and genuine belief in Jesus as we live in the world where our motivations, emotions, thoughts, and actions align with the Lord Jesus Christ. That being like Christ demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ. Remember, James says that this is true religion, the royal law of love. As we've opened up James's letter, we've laid a foundation of genuine faith, or right belief, trust, and surrender to the character and nature of God as we grow through trials, temptations, and suffering. With this in mind, James focuses his attention on the temptation of riches and the testing that comes through the possession and pursuit of loving them. It's important for us in our study to make sure that we see the connection that James is making between genuine faith and the love of riches, in that how we respond to wealth will reveal how we understand God and what we prioritize as his people, as Christians. Specifically, our response to material things will determine how we see respond, and treat others, especially fellow Christians around us in the church. So let's draw our attention to the biblical text of James, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Verses 9 through 15, temptations through riches. James, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15 says, Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position, But the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow. For the sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow. The petal of the flowers falls off and its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuit will wither away. James continues and says in verse 12, Happy is the one who endures testing because when he has proven to be genuine... He will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Verse 15, then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Do not be led astray, my dear brothers and sisters. You see, this section of the text lays our pursuit of God amidst our circumstances. James wants his audience to focus on the finality of this earthly life. He focuses on the reality that we will suffer and be tested in this temporary life and that it's crucial that we see various pitfalls like the love of wealth that can distract us from a true pursuit and effective life in Christ. He will even refer to this life as a vapor, a mist, a puff of smoke in chapter 4, verse 14. So to James' point, that the temptations and trials and testing we encounter are orchestrated by a good and holy God who loves his people and has a burden for those who are missing the forgiveness and redemption in his Son, Jesus Christ. James addresses those who are poor as well as those who are wealthy, both groups who are presumably Christian. He loves both groups of people. As he addresses the poor Christians, he makes a peculiar statement in verse 9 when he says, Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position. What does he mean here? I think the idea here is that The poor have a very significant advantage over the wealthy in that they have a powerful temptation removed from them in the sense that in the absence of wealth, they will have a better vantage point to experience the wealth and generosity of God as he provides for them. Effectively, that they will be less tempted without wealth. This also provides a great contrast to the surpassing value of their salvation Over earthly riches. You see, the poor will hope in God and be better off for it in their joy and assurance in Him and not in earthly possessions. I think of 1 Peter 1 3 through 6, where he says, He gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you, Peter says, who by God's power and protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This brings you great joy, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials, says Peter. Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away, and that testing will bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So again, it is clear here that Peter is reminding his readers that they will suffer for the sake of Christ and that their salvation is an imperishable inheritance, that the results of their suffering for the sake of their inheritance will be more precious and valuable than earthly wealth. James desires the wealthy to have the very same perspective. The way the wealthy gain this perspective is to be generous and hold loosely to their own earthly wealth in order to more fully experience the joy of their salvation and true treasure in Christ. Additionally, James states in verse 12, happy is the one who endures testing because when he has proven to be genuine, he will receive the crown of life That God promised to those who love Him. James is not implying that the wealthy can't be saved from their sin and justified in Christ result in their eternal salvation. What he's making clear is that amidst our suffering and temptation, our ability to lean on God and endure, grow, and hope in Christ will result in experiencing a great joy that won't make sense to the world but the love of riches can greatly hinder our ability to experience this joy. Essentially for James, the question is, how can we suffer well and worship and follow God when we're worshiping and putting our hope in worldly riches? Who suffers and has joy? Who is tempted and doesn't give in to that fleshly desire that entices us, especially when it comes to wealth and material possessions? These responses aren't normal human behavior. It's otherworldly, as is the gospel, as is the crown of life. It's not from this world. This way of living proves that we will truly be given the crown of life, the fulfillment of our salvation. It's living out our faith in Jesus Christ through our motivations, words, and ultimately our actions. Again, this is true religion, according to James. So for the wealthy, he uses the topic of riches as the practical vehicle that is often a central part of all human cultural economic function. In other words, wealth is a common practical thing that his audience as well as us as modern people deal with on a daily basis. This is the everyday intersection That He addresses. Wealth reveals the focus and desires of the heart that in turn reveal our motives and determines our actions and words. For James's audience, it's apparent that wealth was that physical, tangible issue that exposed spiritual realities of their lives in Christ. Just how mature and focused and even spiritual were they? Did their thoughts, motives, and actions align with that of Christ Jesus? Were they practicing true religion before God? For the wealthy among them, James gives a stiff warning about wealth. The partiality and economic discrimination that is addressed in chapter 2 makes it clear that the wealthy Christians in this particular group were trusting in the comfort and the status that their wealth gave them. It gave them the illusion of security and power that caused them to be prideful and arrogant. They were prideful and arrogant in their wealth by trusting in it. That led to the belief that they were better than those without it. In turn, this caused them to mistreat this group, their brothers and sisters in Christ among them. This was obviously a temptation to them that James forwardly addresses and challenges. The important wisdom-filled teaching about wealth here is very central to successfully having, using, and acquiring wealth in a manner that reflects the character and nature of Jesus Christ. How do we balance our own view on wealth and not allow it to cause arrogance and pride? How do we use wealth and not allow it to give us comfort and security over that which God is and supplies to us? How do we prevent a love of wealth that leads to us demeaning and even devaluing others who don't have it. Well, James uses a couple more effective word pictures to help his readers understand what is before them. In verse 10, he points out the natural and inevitable fact that all people, even wealthy people, will still die and pass away, just like a wild flower in the meadow does. Secondly, in verse 11, he specifically points out that the beauty and appeal of the wildflower will fade as the seasons set in and change. When this occurs, the flower withers and dies and their beauty is lost forever. The imagery and lesson here is simple but profound as it's related to our world and our wealth. It's clear that the wildflower is us, the human who inevitably dies, and that the beauty and appeal of our world will fade away with us. In other words, Our wealth, status, accomplishments, awards, even material possessions, and material goods are temporary and will not last. That humans are eternal, but the goods, systems, and material of this world aren't. They simply won't last. So James is saying, prioritize accordingly. Be sure that you understand that the temptation of wealth can cause you to invest in temporary things and can lead to valuing material things above other humans and even God himself, particularly other believers who aren't wealthy. It's sobering to realize that this can cause us to actually love our wealth over loving our fellow Christians. An additional temptation is that boasting in earthly wealth is incompatible with the heart and attitude of Christ. The world boasts in temporal things. Christians boast in our need because Christ fills what we're lacking. And ultimately, it's not material things. We can also love our wealth over loving and pursuing a lost world for the sake of Jesus Christ. Again, loving God and people over wealth is the true religion that James talks about. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit mayasedu slash partner.